Bible's gone. You tied in knots in a burden with religious thoughts, then grab a drink and join the choir. It's heretic happy hour. Hey, friend. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love that, that was man. Great. That's so good. So good. That is awesome. So just to explain what you just heard there, um, that was a that was actually sent to us by our good friend from Sidecar Donuts, Jason uh, Clewer. And I guess his girls, his daughters, his two young daughters, uh, for Valentine's Day wanted to sing him a song as a gift. And that's the song they chose. So there you go. That's cool. We're, we're corrupting the youth of America. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, all be, it's all coming true. Yeah. So, well, there you go. Barrett, I think, is out of a job. I think that's our new theme song from now on. Those girls were, those girls were fantastic. Those were really amazing. I really, I really enjoy that. Thank you. So that's a gift, by the way. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you to your daughters for doing that. That, that was awesome. So, hey, uh, anyway, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour. And um, so I'm Keith Giles, uh, one of your co-hosts here, author of several books, including Jesus Untangled, uh, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. Uh, You can follow me online at KeithGiles.com. That's my blog. And um, I am joined here by my two good friends, um, Matt and Jamal. So guys, say howdy. Hi, this is Jamal Javanji. I'm author of Free to Love, and it's a pleasure to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour. And I'm Matt DiStefano, author of From the Blood of Abel and a couple other books, and the forthcoming book, Heretic, uh, which will be out on Choir Publishing uh, April 1st. So, and that's not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, yeah, yep. as always, we, have, we are, of course, uh, sponsored by the Unfundamentalist Group Blog. And they are a group focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor. And they're dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. You can find them online at facebook.com forward slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Yes, yes. And if I could ask your guys' permission before we get into this fantastic episode today, um, I wanted to see if it would be okay if I make a special announcement. Of course. Sure. Cool. Um, We just felt it would be good um, just because, you know, we really value the interaction of the listeners of the podcast. And we just felt like it'd be good to give the listeners an opportunity to interact by uh, either sharing like written forms of communication. Uh, sometimes we call them texts and, or like they can share like a voicemail. So we, we developed uh, state of the art technology and we developed a, uh, this thing called a hotline. And basically this hotline allows people, you can actually call it from your phone. Um, no and, way. Yeah. Yeah. You can call it and then you could like, you could leave a vo- actual voicemail or you could leave a text and uh, it's a way that we can interact with the listeners and uh, share some of those things. Um, on the podcast. So um, if that's okay, I'll give you the number. It is area code 2403Heresy, or that's 2403437379. And we would encourage all human beings to um, interact with that phone number and leave us your thoughts. Uh, it could be positive, negative, it could be disagreements or agreements or just anything you want to share. And if it's good, and based, and by that, I mean, like if we think it's good. <laughs> then we will share that on the, on the actual podcast. So we do have a text that came in, which is really, yeah. really cool. Cue um, it up. Yes. Yes. Let's cue up this text. Okay, cool. cool. Okay. Here's the text <laughs> quote. Was it on one of your podcasts that someone read passages from the Quran about Jesus that sounded like they could have been from the Bible? 
I've been going back through the episodes trying to find it, but now I'm wondering if it was a different podcast. <gasps> Thanks for your help. And that is from a listener. So guys, is that from a different podcast? What, where is that from? Well, first of all, no one should be listening to any other podcast. Yeah. But this one. Are there other podcasts? I don't think there's other podcasts out there worth listening to. Um, but uh, I think, but yeah, that's right. I think what they're talking about, I think, I know we did an episode five. We did, uh, the title is discovering Christ and non-Christian things. And I think I read, uh, a bunch of stuff from the Quran that, the, that, uh, Muslims believe about Jesus, like that Jesus is the, um, the word of God, uh, that he created things, that he brings life, that he raises people from the dead, that he's coming back to judge the world. And like a lot of things that Christians also believe. I think that's probably what you're referring to. I think that's right. And then yeah. but, but it, there's also a carryover, right? Matt, you wrote a blog this week that, that kind of also talked about the, this kind of crossover between the Bible and the Quran. Well, yeah, I, I, the, the article I wrote wasn't necessarily about Jesus. It was more about the violence, um, that is contained in both books and the point I was trying to make is that there, there's this fascinating phenomenon that I have found talking with some Christians that, you know, when I, when I talk about the nonviolence of God, the non-sacrificial nature of God, man, there is so much pushback. But then on the other hand, some of these same Christians will turn and say, oh, God, those, those Muslims are so violent and the Quran is so violent and it says to slaughter the unbelievers and, and, and so on. And it's like, well, if we're being honest, I mean, you know, so does the Bible. And, and so does yes. our interpretation as, as, as a church has been to instill violence and inflict violence on others. And, we, and we, can, we can explain away things like the Inquisition and torturing heretics and burning people at the stake. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I mean, we've totally missed the mark on who Jesus was when we're doing that. So I just, I, I find that it's, it's fascinating that there's this like almost cognitive bias that we have where it's like, well, we'll jump through all these hoops to explain away our own violence and our scripture's violence. But then when it comes to other faith traditions, we're just like, see, see how violent they are and see they're getting right. it from a law and a law is just this piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and it's like, well, okay, let's just be honest and say there is a way to interpret both scriptures either violently or nonviolently. And yep. I didn't point it out in the article, but, you know, there's this prayer at the start of every uh, chapter in the Quran, except for one, I think, where it's basically some scholars are saying, you know, it's it's uh, that, that law is totally gracious and totally merciful. And that should be the lens with which we read the chapter. And if that's the case, well, wow, then we've got something to work on. And there's some similarities in what we would call maybe this nonviolent hermeneutic, even in the Quran, as as we some of us argue that's in the Bible. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. That's a great point. I remember one time having a conversation with, uh, I think it was an online conversation, but you know, some you know pretty re respected theologian uh, kind of was pushing back. I because I because I, I made the statement. I said, "Do you know what the difference is between?" ISIS, you know, like Muslim, you know, fundamentalists that would say, hey, look, we're just following the text, you know, because you can find in Islamic texts and uh, the Hadith, you know, the example of, of, of Islamic prophet, you can, there's, there are times where, where he will say, you know, you know, kill the unbelievers where you find them. There's examples of, you know, the, the Muslims, early Muslims led by the prophet of Islam doing that, you know, beheading people, all kinds of things. And so these Muslim fundamentalists will come back and say, see, look, we're just following the example of our prophet. We're just following the example of, uh, of our holy scriptures. And um, I remember just saying, hey, what's the difference between that and some of the scriptures in the Old Testament that do 
command the same thing in, in some instances of murdering, you know, men, women, children, animals, um, even some of David's mi- mindset. David's thinking, you know, and pray, you know, praying destruction on his enemies oh, yeah. and taking their babies and bashing their heads against the rocks and all these kinds of things. And like, you know, so I said, what's the difference between yeah. that and ISIS? And um, I said, nothing. There's no difference. They're, they're equal. They're equally violent and, and, right. and they don't represent God's heart. They don't represent love. And of course, this guy pushed back and says, no, 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 no. You know, he was like, you know, the difference is because God didn't command the Muslims to do this, but God did command the ancient Israelites. And of course, you're now touching on this flat Bible understanding. And that's why he was reacting to that. But yeah, right. that's a good point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like there's two things that American Christians want you to know. It's that number one, um, Jesus was absolutely not a pacifist and not a nonviolent messiah. But number two, uh, Christianity is a peaceful religion. And it's sort of like this contradiction of what? Yeah, I wrote a blog this week also on that too, because like I, I was literally having a conversation on Facebook, two different arguments. And on one side, I'm arguing with Christians, telling them, no, Jesus was the Prince of Peace, and he was a nonviolent messiah. And they're saying, no, he wasn't. And they're quoting all these other verses that, that su- they think support violence. And then having another conversation with people saying, Islam is a violent religion, but, a, but Christianity is a peaceful religion. I'm like, and then, and then those Christians are quoting, you know, the peaceful verses from Jesus. Like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, we're so confused. Yeah. It's so crazy. Well, it's, it's a great it's, comment. It's, it's a great it's comment from our, uh, <laughs> anyway. from our listener. So I uh, really appreciate that, that text that came in. And uh, I, I have some good news. Uh, we, have a, we have a pretty epic yeah. voicemail that came in to the, uh, to the Heretic Happy Hour hotline. All right. And um, I have a feeling, I know the stream of Christianity this came from, but let's play it just before we get into it. Your eligibility expires shortly, so please consider this your final notice. (laughs) Please press 1 now on your phone to speak with a live operator and lower your interest rates. Or press 2 to discontinue further notices. Thank you and have a great day. Can we press 2? We got spammed. (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of sound like an Armenian, you know? Like somebody who (laughs) kind of believes you can lose your salvation, right? Isn't that kind of what Armenians like teach like like you you can you get saved but then if you do something bad then god doesn't like you anymore and you you're out of the club yeah that's kind of what that voicemail reminded me of yeah <laughs> you're expired your time is your time is up yeah so thank you caller for your that time is up for that um for that very insightful comment. Yeah, thank you thank you so much if you would like to send us uh you know some better voicemail messages uh please call us at 240 heresy and uh leave us your messages uh as well so it's a lot of fun uh, I think it's time for us to do the Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, I'm Bart Ehrman, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Hi Bart. Bart. Hi, guys. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we are pretty excited. I th- it's pretty amazing uh, to have you on the podcast. And um, I guess what we'll do is kind of start off here and by asking uh, the question that um, I don't know if you can keep this brief or not, because... It seems like there'd be a lot of reasons that people would want to call you a heretic. But Bart, why do people call you a heretic? Yes, right. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess they call me a heretic because I'm a heretic. <laughs> uh, by most, uh, uh, yeah, I suppose you'd have to call me either a heretic or an apostate. Okay. Uh, because I, uh, I certainly hold to views that are not, uh, are not uh, traditional Christian views anymore. Uh, even though I used to, so uh, when I was when I was young, uh, I was raised as a Christian and um, in a uh, Christian church, an Episcopal church. But I uh, had a conversion experience in high school, uh, 
when I was probably 15 years old and became born again uh, and uh, became a very uh, conservative evangelical Christian interested in um, uh, doing things that evangelical Christians do, uh, prayer and Bible study and witnessing and uh, already in high school. This was uh, how I was starting to, uh, to uh, approach my life and my faith. Um, after high school, I went to Moody Bible Institute, which is a fundamentalist Bible college oh, in yeah. Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was there for three years, really loved it, and uh, threw myself into it, was completely gung-ho about uh, the education I was getting there as a Bible theology major, uh, learning about the Bible and um, studying the Bible and um, memorizing the Bible and believing in the Bible. Um, and at the time, I thought that the Bible was the completely inerrant, inspired Word of God. Um, and uh, I held that view for a number of years. Um, so I won't give my entire autobiography, but I will say that I eventually um, uh, studied Greek and wanted to pursue uh, the study of Greek, uh, especially the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament at the graduate level. And I went to Princeton Theological Seminary, which is a Presbyterian school, which is not uh, particularly heretical. But I did um, begin to see there that my earlier views about the Bible were completely wrong. Um, that there are mistakes in the Bible and contradictions and discrepancies and historical errors. And I, uh, I decided that I could no longer subscribe to the idea that the Bible is the inerrant uh, word of God. And so I think at that point, probably, at least from uh, the evangelical perspective, that's, that's when I became a heretic. Um, after that, uh, I won't go into this too much because it's not quite as relevant, but after that I actually left Christianity altogether. Uh, and no longer consider myself a Christian, uh, which is why other people would call me an apostate rather than a, a, a heretic. But um, it wasn't related to my scholarship uh, or my understanding of the Bible. Uh, it was really uh, related to trying to figure out how there can be so much pain and suffering in the world if there's a good God who's in control of it. And I came to think, actually, that's uh, probably not the case. And so about maybe 15, maybe 18 or 20 years ago, I, I left Christianity okay. altogether. Wow. So um, I know you said in the past that you believe that Jesus existed as a person. There was a Jesus of Nazareth, historically, um, but you don't believe he was God or the Son of God, at least not anymore. Um, so I, I have a question, like, so where you are today, uh, If do you believe that Jesus, the historical Jesus, taught what we now call the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, and if not, who did? But if he did, is he somebody whose teachings are worth following? Right. So, um, well, technically speaking, um, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, it's a three-chapter-long sermon. Um, that is the, the longest uh, sermon in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm -hmm. um, and technically speaking, I don't think there's any way that Jesus spoke what we think of as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so last week I gave my, uh, my, my students in my uh, undergraduate class an assignment. I had them write down everything I had said the week before. <laughs> and <laughs> they were amazed how little they could do that. <laughs> and uh, so the deal with the Sermon on the Mount is that uh, this is three chapters of Jesus delivering one 
one liner, one parable, one one saying after the other, after the other, after the other for three chapters. And the deal is, is that Matthew's gospel was written uh, probably in the mid '80s of the Common Era, and if Jesus delivered the sermon, it would have been before thirty of the Common Era. And so we're talking about 50 or 55 years later. And so what is the likelihood that somebody, even if somebody was there who heard it, that they could reproduce this thing verbatim, word for word, 55 years later? I think the chances <laughs> are a zilch. Uh, and so um, technically speaking, the Sermon on the Mount isn't, uh, G- Jesus wouldn't have uh, delivered the sermon in the form that we have it in Matthew. On the other hand, there are sayings in the Sermon on the Mount that, one can, uh, one can argue, based on uh, a, a rigorous application of historical criteria, one can argue that Jesus said a lot of these sayings at one time or another in his life. Uh, and so the bigger question you're asking is, can, can you follow the ethical teachings of Jesus and still consider yourself to be a Christian? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, other Christians might mm-hmm. not consider you a Christian, but one per- perfectly plausible definition of Christian is somebody who tries to model uh, their life on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, if, if that is a definition that people accept, then I suppose uh, I myself would cons- I'd consider myself a, uh, a Christian agnostic, <laughs> right. which, which is what I do consider myself. So, so you do then, you personally do believe that, uh, that those ethical teachings of Jesus are something that you would want to follow in your life? I think um, the, the core teaching of Jesus uh, at the end of the day, is uh, that you should uh, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. which, of course, is not an idea that he invented. Right. Uh, sure. uh, it comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And I think it's important to emphasize that when Jesus said that you should love one another, he wasn't teaching it so that people would know how to get along for the long haul. Um, Jesus was teaching that uh, because he didn't think there was going to be a long haul. Uh, he thought that, mm-hmm. that the the end was coming sometime in his disciples' lifetime, and people needed to get ready for it, because if they weren't on the side of God, they were going to be fried when the end came. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his ethical teaching is very much set in an apocalyptic context. Well, I don't subscribe to that apocalyptic context anymore, although uh, the uh, the issues with North Korea are making me reconsider that. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, I don't think I don't think the end is going to come sometime next Thursday. But uh, apart from that apocalyptic context, I think that the ethical teaching itself uh, is is something that is absolutely worth emulating, and it's something that I try to emulate in my own life. Yeah. So uh, now, in a way, though, the end um, the end of the world didn't happen, but certainly the end of everyone living in Jerusalem at that time that did happen, right? Uh, within like forty years of him teaching. Well, the end of everybody, the end, the end of everybody, then happened. Right, and in some, and in that sense. <laughs> It's like the end of everybody now will happen. No, and, and, and I think, but I, but I think that's a valid point, though. Like, in other words, we are, are, we're mortal. We all only have maybe 40 or 50 years, you know, if we're middle-aged, right? That, um, that the time is short, and we don't have forever, and because of that, maybe we should number our days and consider these things, right? Yeah, well, that would be, that would be what I would consider a kind of retranslation of what Jesus had in mind into a new context. Um which I, I'm perfectly comfortable with, but it's, it's certainly not what Jesus had in mind. He, he didn't think you need to be good because if you don't, you'll die and you're sold mm-hmm. to hell. Uh, that, that wasn't his thing. Right. His thing, he didn't believe in heaven and hell. He thought that the Son of Man was soon to arrive and bring judgment 
and destroy the forces of evil and bring in a good kingdom. And if you're not prepared for it, uh, you're, you're going to be judged. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, boy, there's so many directions I could go based on what you just said. <laughs> I'm like in my mind thinking, okay, what do I ask him next? Um, well, uh, I guess can, let me just shift gears a tiny bit here. Uh, cause we, we've done, we've talked a lot on this podcast about, uh, the new Testament canon and, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I know that you've studied this quite a bit as well. At least I believe you've studied this quite a bit as well. Um, so our, I have a question. This actually came from someone in our group, our Facebook group. Um, are there any books in the new Testament canon now that in your opinion really probably don't belong there? Or are there any that are not currently in the new Testament canon that you believe should have been included or considered? My view is that that's a theological question rather than a historical one, and that it's a question that Christians mm-hmm. would have to resolve, because the, the New Testament is the Christian scriptures, and Christians decided which books right. to include. Um, there are certainly books in there that I wish weren't there. Um, like which ones? I think, which ones? Well, I, I think First Timothy is highly problematic yep. uh, because of its views of women, um, and uh, Paul didn't write it anyway. Right. And I think that uh, I think that women throughout history would have had an easier time if it hadn't been in the canon. Uh, and so, I mean, there are good things about First Timothy too, but I just think that it's caused so many problems that I just assume it weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of books that aren't in the canon that I think are terrific. I mean, one book that almost made it in that all, that most people don't know about is the Apocalypse of Peter, mm-hmm. which is a it's a second century work that almost made it in. Uh, in the fourth century, there were still church fathers arguing that it, it was part of the Christian scriptures. But the reason I like it is because it is the first um, the first recorded account by a Christian in which the author is given a guided tour of heaven and hell. Mm. Uh, and so he uh, he sees the realms of the blessed, and he sees the realms of, sees the realms of the damned, and he describes them. And as it turns out, the realms of the damned are far more interesting than the realms of the blessed. <laughs> because, I mean, the, the, the people in heaven are just happy. I mean, what can you say about them? I mean, they're completely joyful for eternity. So I mean, there's not much to say. But if you have any creativity at all, you can describe the torments of the damned in graphic detail. And, uh, and he does so. Uh, and so it's, it's a very interesting book, which, has, which actually gets back to your original your question about the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it's basic. His basic point is, if you don't want to be tormented forever, then don't mm-hmm. sin. Well, it sounds like mm-hmm. that would be a great uh, great book to read uh, while you're listening to ACDC's Highway to Hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As your soundtrack. Yeah, yeah just, not, just not after you did acid or anything. I don't know. Yeah, or slept with your naked wife or something. Right. <laughs> um, so, Bart, you, you kind of touched on your, your process and your journey along the way, but are there any uh, specific aha moments that you had um, where you're just like, man, I don't think this adds up? Or was it, was it more like my story where it's like finally just the straw breaks the camel's back, so to speak? Uh, I, had, I had a bunch of aha moments. The, the, the first really big one um, was when I was a, uh, a first-year student at Princeton Theological Seminary. And I was taking a, a Greek exegesis of the Gospel of Mark. And so we're interpreting Mark in the in the Greek uh, form of the text. And for the class, we had to write a uh, term paper. Uh, it could be on anything we wanted to do. And I, I wrote a term paper on a passage in Mark chapter 2, which is this famous passage where the disciples of Jesus are going through the grain fields and rubbing off the grain and eating it because they're hungry, but it happens to be a Sabbath. 
And uh, the Pharisees who are observing this, since Pharisees are on every street corner in Mark's gospel, the Pharisees see this and uh, and they say, uh, you know, they they upbraid Jesus and they say, you know, they're doing what they're not supposed to do because it's the Sabbath and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, um, don't you remember what happens in Scripture when uh, when Abiathar was the high priest, David and his um his men went into the temple and ate the showbread that only the priests are supposed to eat. And he goes on to point out that Sabbath is, is to, for the good of humans. It's not the other way around. The humans aren't, aren't made to serve the Sabbath. And so that's the story. But the thing is, um, in this passage, there's this famous contradiction because Jesus said this all happened when Abiathar was the high priest. But in the, uh, in the story in the book of Samuel, in fact, it's not Abiathar. It's his father, Ahimelech, who's the high priest. And so mm. uh, it's just a flat-out contradiction. And so I wrote this 30-page term paper uh, based on a technical exegesis of the Greek text, arguing that even though it said Abiathar wasn't the high priest, it didn't mean that Abiathar was the high priest. Uh, in fact, it, it, it means Ahimelech was the high priest. <laughs> which is what yeah. the So I wrote this long paper, argued it strenuously, as a good conservative evangelical. And my professor, who is a very uh, conservative and pious, uh, well-respected Christian man, uh, he gave it an A. He really liked the paper. But at the end of it, he he said, maybe Mark just made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, huh. That would be easier than arguing for 30 pages, in fact. <laughs> and so right. I just thought, you know, huh, maybe that's right. Maybe he did make a mistake. And once I, once I realized that, um, then I started seeing other little tiny little mistakes here and there. And then they started getting into bigger mistakes. And pretty soon there were massive differences and contradictions. And so that, that was a major turning point for me. Yeah. You know, you, uh, I, I got to confess, right, we were getting ready for this interview and I went and kind of binge watched a couple of, um, some debates that you've did on, uh, that are on YouTube. And um, I wanted to ask you to kind of go through this again, because I, I think this is, I, I don't know, I thought it was really interesting. You were, it was one of the debates you were de- talking about the divinity of Christ. And you kind of walked through the progression of uh, how the divinity of Christ slowly kind of develops over time, that idea, like it didn't all happen yeah. at once. Like, so in the Gospel of Mark, it's yeah. this way, and then Matthew. Could you kind of go through that again? Yeah, so... Um this is um, this is what I argue, actually argue in, my, in a book called uh, "How Jesus Became God," mm-hmm. which is that the the during Jesus' lifetime, I argue that Jesus didn't think about himself as God, didn't call himself God. Uh, disciples didn't think he was God. What happened was when his disciples came to believe that he was raised from the dead. They thought that not only was he raised from the dead, it's not that his body just came back to life. He actually went up to heaven, and he's living with God now. Mm-hmm. Um, there were lots of ancient people who thought that various individuals had gone up to the heavenly realm to live in the divine realm. And when they thought that, they thought the person became divine. The person became a god. And so I think the original Christians thought that Jesus had been made a god at his resurrection. Um, and what ends up happening is that Christians think and think and think about this, that Jesus is God, and they start pushing the moment back farther and farther. So first they thought it was at the resurrection. Then we have evidence that there were Christians who thought that Jesus became God at his baptism, Mm -hmm. that when he's baptized, the voice from heaven says, you are my son, 
today I have begotten mm. you. So he becomes the son of God at his baptism. Then they thought about it more, and they thought, well, you know, it wasn't just, it just wasn't uh, divine during his public ministry or just after his resurrection. He must have been divine from the time he was born. And so then they later start telling stories of a virgin birth where uh, he doesn't have a human father. He has a divine father. So he's literally the son of God because God makes Mary pregnant. Then they think about it more, and they think, well, it wasn't just God during his life. He must have existed before he came into the world. And then they develop the idea that he's a pre-existent divine being who becomes a human being. Uh, and so you can find all of these views in the Gospels. And um, it looks like they developed uh, over time until Jesus ends up, much later after the Gospels, Jesus ends up not just being someone who existed before the world began, but actually one who has eternally existed and is equal with the Father. And that's, that's when you start getting the development of the, the idea of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Bart, this is Jamal here. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, I had a question for you. Just uh, wanted to get your thoughts on, and I think you touched on this a little bit, but the essential teachings of Jesus uh, just boiled boiled uh, down to the, the new commandment to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. And I'm just curious to, you know, maybe to hear some of your thoughts on what, what do you believe is the essence of love? Like, what is that to you? How do you understand love? And do you believe that to be a transcendent reality that um, that you would consider uh, of divine origin? Okay, so several things to say. First of all, I don't think that love was the core of Jesus' teaching. I think it was the core of his, of his ethical teaching. Um, I think G- the core of Jesus' teaching was that the kingdom of God is soon to re- arrive and people need to repent. Um, and so love love was feeding into that, but love, I don't think, was the core of his teaching. But but it, I do think it is the core of his ethical teaching. What do I mean by that? Um, I, think, um, I think Jesus had in mind that if you love your neighbor as yourself, that you treat others the way that you yourself, the way you treat yourself. And so, um, for example, you feed yourself uh, when you're hungry, so you should feed the hungry. You um, take care of yourself when you're sick, and so you should take care of the sick. You clothe yourself, so you should clothe others. You provide housing for yourself, so you should house the homeless. So basically, it is a, uh, it's a kind of social agenda that has very practical implications for how we treat those who are in need. Um, I don't think that love is some kind of transcendent thing that comes from God, because uh, for one thing, I don't believe in God. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it comes from God. And I don't believe in transcendence. Uh, I think this material world is all there is. I mean, I don't think that there's, I don't think we understand it. You know, I don't think we can, you know, I think there's a lot, there's tons and tons of things that we don't see here, feel, and that, that are there. But, but I don't think that anything, I don't think this universe existed before the Big Bang. And I don't know what there was, was before the Big Bang, but I don't think there's something transcendent uh, of this world. Well, last question, I guess we have would be what, what new books, projects um, do you have going on right now, or what are you what are you currently working on, and, and maybe where could people find out more information about you and your work? Yeah, so uh, in terms of book, so I've got a new book uh, coming out. Uh, it's it's out on February thirteenth. I'm very excited about it. Um, it um, I have written, you know, I write I write a number of different kinds of books. I write I write books for scholars that. Uh, Six people in the world would be interested in, uh, and I write uh, I write books for college level uh, students, for college level textbooks, for universities and colleges. Uh, but then I write books for general audiences, uh, 
people who might go to Barnes and Noble or buy their fiction and nonfiction on Amazon. And um, that's what this le- this recent book is. It's just coming out. It's called The Triumph of Christianity: How a Forbidden Religion Swept the World. And um, I'm excited about it because I think it's, uh, I would say that of all the books I've written until now for a popular audience, I would say the one that's most important until now is, is this book, How Jesus Became God. Um, but I would say that this book is the most important book I've written for a general audience because it's dealing with an issue that is huge. Um, the, the issue is, the, what, behind the issue is the fact that Christianity has been the dominant um, force in Western civilization, if you just sketch Western civilization over the last 1,700 years, from the 4th century till today, there's been no force more powerful than the mm-hmm. Christian church, um, uh, whether historically, politically, economically, socially, culturally, not to mention religiously. Uh, and so here's the issue I deal with in the book. Uh, if the New Testament is right, that Christianity started with a small group of Jesus' disciples, so 11 men and a handful of women after his death. So he starts off with 20 lower-class, illiterate day laborers from some remote part of the empire. How is it that in 300 years there are 3 million Christians in the world? And then, a century after that, there are 30 million Christians in the world, half of the Roman Empire, and it becomes the official religion of Rome. So the question in my book is, how do you get from 20 people to 30 million people? (laughs) How does that happen? (laughs) And so... Uh, it's a really important topic, and I find it unusually interesting. Uh, and so I'm very, very excited about that. If people want to know about that book or about my work generally, uh, there are um, there are two places. There, I have a website, uh, bartderman.com. Uh, uh, the last name is E-H-R-M-A-N, bartderman.com. And even better place is my blog, uh, which I encourage people to look at. It's called the Bart Ehrman Blog. And I post uh, five times, five or six times a week, a thousand words a day. Wow. <laughs> uh, so it's a lot. I've been doing yeah. it for five and a half years. Yeah. I've done it five and a half years every week for five and a half years on every topic having anything to do with the New Testament, historical Jesus, early Christianity, uh, up through Constantine. I mean, a massive amount of stuff. The only deal is that people have to pay to join the mm-hmm. blog. Um, so it costs twenty four ninety five for a year's membership. But the deal is I don't keep a penny. Uh, all of the money goes to charities dealing with hunger and homelessness. Wow. And so it's a way for me to raise money. So last year we raised $120,000 on a blog, and I'm um, trying, to, trying to do better this year. So uh, people should just just Google the Bart Irwin blog, and they'll find it. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's, that's great. That, I, in my book, that makes you a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, tell Jesus that. <laughs> I just talked to him a few minutes ago, and, uh, you know, uh, I'll have to mention him to you next time. Just, just remind him, That's I'm right. on his side. <laughs> I think he's cool. I don't know. Oh, this is great. Well, Bart, I wish we had more time, and I know you've got actually another interview after this one, so you're a busy guy. But I want to thank you so much yeah. for taking some time to talk yeah. to us today. My pleasure. I've enjoyed yeah. it. All right. Cool. Thanks, man. All right, thanks. Thanks, Bart. Man, Bart Ehrman. Well, first of all, I'm jazzed that he came on the show, and I really do appreciate a lot of what the guy says. But I got to tell you, there was a lot of stuff in that interview that really annoyed the crap out of me. So uh, there's just I feel like I need. Well, let's 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 hear it. All right, so I just it. needed to respond because there's one thing that he said 
and I've heard him say this many times where he does, he said, you know, remember he said uh, that he, uh, he told his classroom, um, their assignment was to, to write down verbatim everything that he had said the previous week in class and ha ha ha. See, they can't, they were just last week and they can't remember, uh, everything that I said in class. So how, how is it that the disciples could have remembered the Sermon on the Mount, which is this really long sermon, um, that he just said one time. And my problem with that way of thinking is that, uh, it's not like Jesus just said that one time and then never brought it up again. I mean, we we, we forget that the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus every week, 24-7, man. They were they were with, with Jesus. You know, they woke up and he was there. They they took a walk and he was there. They ate lunch and dinner and, you know, sat around the campfire and they they had conversations. And, the, and Jesus, the way he would have taught them would have been in this rabbinical style where he would have talked and then they would have asked him questions. And so it's not as if they weren't constantly asking him about the Sermon on the Mount and different components of the Sermon on the Mount and what did that mean and you know tell us that part again what did you what was that again about you know blessed are the peacemakers or whatever I so I don't I don't think that's a valid argument I think that I think it is likely that if you spent three and a half years with somebody and all they ever talked about was the kingdom of God uh, and they told all these parables and and, and that kind of stuff I think you would remember. Uh, those key points of the Sermon on the Mount, personally. Um, you know, you know, I had the same thought, um, Keith. When you know, I was listening to the interview, and I really did appreciate him coming on, and uh, love his, I love his, uh, just his boldness, his honesty. You know, and this is kind of where he's at. But I did have a different thought um, about that. I, I honestly think a lot of what he's saying is a reaction. Maybe you know, I don't know if he would be aware of this or not. But I think I personally think it's a reaction to getting our information from a book. Okay, because I honestly don't think I, I think again, history is just speaking yeah. of the historicity of Jesus, of his teachings, of the movement that you know, of the way that that followed, you know, him, um, is not it's we don't know this is true simply because somebody penned it in paper, even though obviously, yes, that can be helpful, but th- these were real lives. Real people were impacted. Um, I-, I can even just maybe bring it down to my own family. Like my, my family, uh, my dad comes from East Africa. He grew up in a little Island called Zanzibar. They originally migrated from Gujarat in India. So they're Indian heritage. There are, there are aspects of our family life, a uh, history of our family that are not written down, uh, but it's very well known to me and to my family because uh, this, this, these are like lives that were impacted. These, this is what happened. My great, great, great grandfather traveled here. He did this, you know, these yep. things happen. I mean, it's well-known documented history amongst our family documented in the sense that it's, you know, people actually got to certain places and did certain things because of this history. So it's not like it's unknown, uh, obviously people, uh, but I did actually, somebody did compile it and write it down. Um, and I actually do have a written account of that history, but this is why I think you really have to, we really have to like yep. see understand that the movement of the way, the teachings of Jesus, these impacted lots of people and, and lives. And this is why really getting into the history, I I started learning about again, and not to beat a dead horse, I know we're gonna get to this, but even even under coming to understand things about Mary Magdalene and her relationship with Jesus and the type of like uh, message that she proclaimed post resurrection of Jesus. There's no way I would have known any of that. Had I not encountered groups of people that had history that could actually be tied like, like actual people, people's lives. You get into the area, you start to hear stories that don't always get written down and 
approved and are sitting in libraries where the approved, you know, scholars are like giving credence to like, this is like, this is where you start getting, like, we really need to, to stay true to like, like getting, like go to these areas and talk to these people and look up the groups that were banned and that, that weren't allowed to talk and find out their history. And you'll start uncovering things that, um, that, that we, you know, maybe wouldn't get just from reading specific books by people who are approved by Orthodox teachers. So, uh, again, Jesus teachings, getting back to that, Jesus teachings, the teachings about the way this is stuff that, uh, this, there were over 200, um, gospel accounts in the, you know, in the first couple of centuries, obviously, you know, they got, they got, you know, that's the problem when we have four. And then obviously the councils told us what we can believe and what we can't, that kind of thing. But if you stay true, if you get into the communities, um, these, there were actual communities of people that their lives were impacted. They actually lived a certain way. If you can like, and there, and, and some of those groups can, you know, you can find that if you go to these, obviously not everyone's going to travel, but again, this is the problem with like simply basing our, our whole view of the world on certain sacred texts and that alone. So, yeah. 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 Well, I've got a, cu- I got a couple of thoughts. Yes. First, I think we need to play a drinking game. <laughs> Every time Jamal met Mary Magdalene, we need to yes, do right. shots or something. <laughs> play along at um, home, by the way. But it's the uh, heretic happy hours. Every time, Mary, Every time Mary, he says that, take it Mary, 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 Mary. <laughs> <laughs> careful now. Um, but going back to the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, it's, it's like, I think, Bart's approach is really helpful in in understanding that, I mean, literalism in the way we talk about literalism in the church now is is he, he's helpful in showing that that that's yeah. that's bullshit. Okay, I mean, you know, but I think there's there's literal truths that we can glean from these things. Um, you know, what was the Sermon on the Mount one sermon that Jesus gave? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And who cares? You know, so it's like. But it's like um, when Mike and I wrote our book, A Journey with Two Mystics, what we tried to do was to like take four years of conversations and distill them into like maybe a four hour conversation. And that's what the book is. Now, did that conversation literally happen? No, it didn't. But the point is, is that it's like an analogy for all these things were taught over and over and over, yes. I'm guessing. And so if a, if a writer makes a point by by putting it into one sermon, that doesn't make it not true just because that wasn't a historical right. event. It, 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 the truth of it is there. Um, we don't, they didn't chronicle history like journalists do today. Um, and, and to apply our like modern sense of journalism back into the first century is completely anachronistic. We shouldn't be doing that. So yeah, it's helpful. Ehrman's uh, uh, approach is helpful in one way, but in another way, like I just can't, discredit something because this may not have been a literal uh historical yeah, yeah. event. And I think this you is the thing mean? with Bart. By the way, I do like Bart a lot. And I know uh he is an atheist and all that Me stuff. Too. But but Me I do too. appreciate that he does ask questions. I think he has some really good questions. I think the thing is that um what's what's funny is Bart is able to look at something and he'll look at something and say, therefore he doubts. He that's a reason to doubt it. Whereas I look at it and I say, well yeah, but it's not necessarily for me a reason to doubt it, but it's a good way to clarify maybe, like you were saying, Matt, um, the literalism and the biblicism and stuff like that. Well, one last thing I wanted to say about this was, um, again, uh, and I asked him to say this, so I brought it up and I asked him to repeat it. But he talked about how, you know, he notes that um, if you just read the Gospel of Mark, you would conclude that Jesus became God at his baptism because that's when the Spirit falls on him and he's declared to be the Son of God. Uh, but in and in Luke or Matthew, uh, Jesus is God at his conception, right? That he's what's born Mary, what's born of you is conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
but in G- the Gospel of John, um, it says, no, 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 God, Jesus was God from the beginning. He was God, he was, the Word was with God, you know, before all creation began and he created all things. And so what um, Bart looks at that and says, see, therefore it's a legend. Right. Whereas I look at that and I say, no, that's consistent with what we already see, that this progressive understanding of who Jesus was is all throughout Scripture. First of all, uh, Jesus' own mother, you know, even though, yes, she pondered things in her heart, but, you know, then later on she's like, hey, Jesus, come home. I think you've lost your mind. Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, is like, are you are you sure you're the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? The disciples who spent three years with him, did, he, did they understand anything he told them? I'm going to be crucified. And then they don't get it. Right. And then they never, they just never got it. Right. They never got anything. <laughs> he talked about the kingdom. And then the, and even though he speaks about the kingdom, his entire ministry, even after the resurrection, right before he ascends into heaven, they go, Hey, hey, Jesus. Um, so when are you going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem? Ah, dude, are you not listening? And then the thing about the Gentiles, right? Like it, it takes, it's like a couple of years after Pentecost for Peter to go have this vision of the unclean animals to go, Oh, I think the gospel is for the Gentiles too. Even though Jesus was telling them that over and over again. So there's all kind to me, yeah. those aren't evidences that it's a legend and I shouldn't believe it. It's consistent with what I see throughout all of scripture. There's things they didn't, that Jesus told them they had, they grasped bits of it. And over time they, uh, they, they, progressively understood more and more and more. And to me, that's okay. I, I think that's fine. Yeah. And and I think <clears throat> I think uh, it would make sense that people it would take time for people to realize the divinity of Jesus because that's not an easy thing, especially if you're a Jew. Right. Exactly. Uh, come from a Jewish background. To, it's not an easy thing to come to conclusion that a human being is divine because we've been right. uh, indoctrinated with certain lies about uh, our origins. Um, as as people, humans uh, are the one species that have no idea who they really are. So, um, yeah. so I think it would, of course, take time. But this, I think, brings us into our topic of, you know, I think we wanted to talk about is Jesus God? Yeah. Is Jesus God? So that's a, I mean, that's a good question, and um, obviously, it's a very debated question in in the history of Jesus and the history of the world and history of Christianity. I know Muslims. I come from a Muslim background. I know that was the bit, number one. Um, argument yep. against Christianity was that this was, you know, idolatry and all that kind of thing. And um, that Jesus, you know, yep. was not God according to Islamic thought, of course, you know. So the question is, it was Jesus God. Where did this co- this idea come from? Yeah. Yeah. Just think. So, yeah, we, well, we sort of already, already talked, I mean, Bart mentions it, you know, that, and, and as you just kind of summarized too, Jamal, like it, uh, it's a difficult thing for, especially a Jewish mindset to wrap around this idea that Jesus uh, was the, was, was he God? Was he the son of God? Was he the son of man? Uh, was he the Messiah? And it's sort of, there, I think there is a progression there of like, we think he's a good teacher. Well, we think he could be the Messiah. Well, we think he's the son of man. Well, we think he's the son of God. Oh no, now we think he's God. Um, and wrapping, and then even, even you know, okay, sure, in the Gospel of John, we have this idea that Jesus was God, but even the answer to that question came hundreds of years later. The debate, you know, was like, well, okay, if he's God, in what way is he God? So it's a it's a uh, it is a um, difficult topic, and and I, I just I guess I want to say that anything we say from this point forward, uh, it's just a statement of, of faith or a statement of belief because I don't I personally don't think it, we could really say scientifically we know that Jesus is God or that Jesus isn't God. I think we can say well I believe he's God or I believe he isn't God, but I, I don't know that we can definitively say. Yes, he is because of this, or no, he's not because of that. I, I think it is a very challenging thing, a slippery thing to get our, our brains around. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I and, and 
to be frank, science is really not going to have anything to say about any of this stuff. I mean, uh, you know, just because, you know, God is not like the biggest being that we can find in the universe. I don't accept that view of God. So we're not going to like send out a telescope or, you know, <laughs> like or the Hubble space. Satellite. Like, oh, there's the big yeah. thing called God. Um, so yeah, I, mm-hmm. I just think it's going to be a completely different category. Um, yeah, and you're right. It is a very difficult um, thing to discuss. I, I, for me, I mean, I'll just, I'll answer it by giving a non-answer. Like, I'm more interested in Jesus' humanity and as another human, like how I can follow that human. And, and I, I think the, the it's fun to talk about the divinity of Jesus, and I would affirm it. I would affirm that. I don't necessarily need to know how to best explain it, though. Like, it, for me, yeah. it's just like, it's something I believe. I believe Jesus, I believe God is exactly like Jesus um, in, in terms of, like, if God became a human, that's what God would be. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that, that's where I'm personally at with it, you know? Yeah, I like that. See, I think I think that's an interesting thing, too. Like, it's sort of like uh, Christians are really big on this idea on the deity of Christ and was Jesus God and Jesus was God and all that. And and like you said, I, I, I personally do affirm um, the deity of Christ, but but I think it's more important to say not that Jesus is God, but to say that God is like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and and that Jesus did come to reveal to us the Father, who the Father is. And that that I think that is what Matthew Jesus says it in Matthew when he says, No one knows the Father except the Son, and and to whomever the Son chooses to reveal the Father. And then in John, of course, it says that um, no one has ever seen God except uh, his son, right? Uh, except God the Son, uh, and who came he came in order to reveal to us the Father. Now, to me, both of those statements suggest that before Jesus came, we didn't have a clear picture of who the Father really was. In a sense, we didn't really understand his heart and his character. We saw him through, um, sometimes we saw him as this angry, vengeful, wrathful God. And sometimes we see him as a loving uh, God who's you know longing to cover us like you know with his wings and shelter us and, uh, and draw us to himself like a mother or, or a loving father. But um, but there was sort of this uh, tension. And I think that personally for me, it's more important to say that Jesus came to show us once and for all, this is who the Father is. Uh, this is what the Father is actually like, and that he's not the, these other ways that we have thought he was in the past. Yeah, you know, I, and this is a thought I want to share. Uh, it's not, I think people wrestle with, God, you know, Jesus, the God man, and there's like, as if these are two different, two very separate things. And um as if that he's unique in that. And I, I really uh, have, I, that's something I do, I, I do not believe. I do not believe that this is Jesus is unique in being divine and being human because I, I would say Jesus is divine because he's human. And that's how I know that's a, that's a, that people would be like, well, what are you, what are you saying? Like, it's heretical. But, and we're going to get into this, you know, uh, one, I mean, we, we recorded a pretty epic, uh, we haven't shared it yet, epic interview with uh, Father Richard Rohr, and uh, he touched on this too. But like a lot of the tr- traditional, you know, we look at John one fourteen. you know, well, you know, John 1 in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. But then verse 14, it says, you know, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But like a, a, many people, many early Christians understood that not to be exclusively about Jesus, but that, that this understanding that this was also applied to material materiality in general. And then Jesus specifically as an icon. So I honestly believe Jesus is showing us something 
something. I do think Jesus is unique. I'm not saying he's just, you know, run of the mill like every other human being, but his essence, his nature, I do believe is uh, something that is, is absolutely like us. Otherwise, we could not relate to him in any way, shape, or form, which most Christians cannot. If just being honest, most evangelical Catholic Christians have yeah. Jesus up on this pedestal. They've made him into an idol. He's not somebody that you can relate to or live like because they honestly believe, and this is even unconscious, that he is fundamentally different in some way, shape, or form. And I actually don't believe that he is. So h- humanity was created from the very beginning in the image and likeness of God. Humanity, so God's best way that he and or she has you know both have decided to express themselves is through male and female this is how god is expressed through male and female it is through our humanity that we know what divinity is like because that is how divinity is fullest is expressed in its fullest way so we human beings have had no clue who they were so this is why jesus in his humanity not in his in some I, I think a, a more mythological sense that the, the Christian church has made Jesus into this Thor figure, this, you know, this, this mythological creature. I don't believe that's who he is. I think as a human being, just like all of us, he was somebody, what makes him unique, however, I do believe that he had a, he had a very full understanding of his true identity, which I do, I think was, uh, he might be the first human being on the, on the planet to have ever fully understood who God is because he understood who he is. And so like when he's making the statement to, he's talking to the religious leaders and, you know, they, they, they come at him and he says, look, you know, before Abraham was born, I am using their language for divinity. And they obviously want to pick up rocks to kill him. And he's like, what, for what good work do you want to kill me? And he's like, they were like, no, not, not for a good work because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Because again, they, in their mindset was, those are two very separate and different things. And Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not singling myself out in a way that's, that's unique. Doesn't the scripture say we are all, and he's quoting from, from the Jewish scriptures. Doesn't the scripture say we are all gods? So he, he, and again, if, if anybody else said this, you, it would be, they'd be called a heretic, but Jesus actually said that. And he was referring to himself and all of us. Mm-hmm. We are all gods. We come from divinity. Mm-hmm. So it is because we are human that we are divine. Not, it's not in spite of it. And I think Jesus understood that very clearly. And he became a picture of us just as much as a picture of, 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 of the divine. So it's, because they're not separate, <laughs> they're they're together. We're one. Yeah, uh, I I I uh, just to just to uh, devil's advocate a little bit on that. Um, I, I know that verse you're talking about in the Old Testament, but what's interesting if you go and read the reference that Jesus is talking about, where he says, uh, "Where he's, I don't," and I'm sorry, I can't remember what where what the Old Testament passage is, but you can look it up in you know your New Testament cross reference. Um, anyway, but the the Old Testament passage he's referring to, where it says, "You are gods." It goes the very next sentence says, "But you will die like men." So it's sort of like, yes, you may be quote unquote little g gods, but you're going to die like men. And so it's this sort of judgment thing. And but not to say though uh, that you're not onto something. And I think, um, I think though, I, I at this point anyway, I tend to lean more on the side of saying that while I affirm what you said that we're all made in the image of God uh, and all that, I, I do think that Jesus was God. Um, in a in a in a special way that we're not and but but because he was because Jesus was God in a in an arca- incarnational way uh that we can be like him 
So if that makes any sense. In other words, I feel like, yes, we all had the image of God. We're all made in the image of God uh, in that sense. We're all children of God in that sense, uh, even before Christ. But then when Jesus comes and he, he is the incarnation of God in the flesh, I think it's in a unique way. And I think there's a, there's a unique connection between Jesus and God, uh, but, sorry, between God and man in Christ. Um, but that because of that unique incarnation, now we can more fully uh, embody ourselves this new incarnation um, that of being, and, and, and Paul talks about it all the time. I think there's like 35 something references where Paul talks about the, this reality that he calls being in Christ. And there's all, it, it's an interesting study, by the way. I recommend you just do it sometime and look it up. Um, the phrase in Christ and all the different realities that are, that come true for anyone who is in Christ. And I, and see to me, what Paul is saying there is that if there are certain realities that are true for us when we're in Christ, then I think it's possible for us to not be in Christ. And then therefore we don't understand or we don't live out of those realities. Yeah. So that's just the, the way anyway, I tend to think. Of yeah. It. Yeah. And I, I think if I were to disagree, I would say there is no possibility for for to not be in Christ. I think there's, I, I actually don't think anything exists separate from Christ. Um, nothing and nothing ever has existed separate from Christ. Nothing can be separate from Christ. Otherwise existence itself yeah. would not be possible. That's what Jesus said in John 15. You know, he would said, you know, apart from me, you can, I think he's talking about his Christ nature. You can do nothing. And that means nothing. That means not even existence. So the, it's, the, it's the thought, the idea that we are somehow separate that causes the dysfunction. But I actually don't think in reality anything has ever been, and I don't see Christ as being synonymous with Jesus because Christ, Christ, uh, the reality of Christ was way before Jesus was born on this earth. Christ existed from, from the very beginning because, and again, this goes back to something that, which we'll get into when, when we have, when we play Richard's uh, interview, but the, the, the understanding of that really the true incarnation happened uh, at the Big Bang, at the beginning of everything, like that, it, like the material existence, the world, the universe is the literal birth, the incarnation of divinity. But I actually saw a movie that really helped me. It was, a, it was actually a movie of a couple of weeks ago. It really helped me with this understanding, even in a greater way. And it was a true story, and it was about this lady who, um, like, she just had this profound love for for homeless homeless people. Um, they came from, you know. I won't get into all the details, but you know, had a lot of money and just were, were burdened with with those who were struggling in life. And just they, her and her husband ended up uh, serving in this homeless a soup kitchen and this homeless shelter. And anyway, just made a huge impact. But she started having visions, so she would have these. She would go to go to sleep at night, and she would have visions of this specific man. And she never met the man; she didn't know who he was. But then eventually, he ends up coming. He's a homeless guy. He ends up coming to the homeless shelter, and she's like, "That's the man for my dreams." And uh, was really moved. Anyway, they ended up, and he was very violent, very angry. Uh, people, nobody liked him. Everyone thought he was a really bad dude. He had been in prison, had committed a lot of violent crimes, that kind of thing. But she, but he, she kept having dreams about him. And anyway, long story short, like she had a huge impact on him. Love like really transformed him. They became, he became part of the family. Uh, but then she got terminally ill, died. And at the funeral, this was like, it was so powerful at the funeral. She asked that this man um, that was once homeless would speak and, and give, yeah, it's just the totally spoiler. I don't even remember the name of the movie to be completely honest. It was like, it was like a <laughs> same kind of, it was like a, me. yes, there we go. Okay. Same kind of different as me. That's right. Same kind of different. Me. So basically um, at the funeral, uh, she asked him to give the eulogy. And so as he's given the eulogy, basically what he's like, everyone was like talking about how amazing this woman was. 
how her life was like, like almost like she's a saint, like she's above and beyond everybody else. Like no people just want to aspire to be like her because she was so loving. But what this guy had, what he received from her, he said, the biggest lesson that I, I learned from this woman is that I used to think I was different, that I didn't measure up. And, um, and she helped me see that I'm the same kind of different as her. Like I'm just like her. That's what, that's what she had. Yeah. And I really believe that's, and it really spoke to me. He's like, I honestly believe that that was Jesus' mission is to show us. We, we think he's different, fundamentally different. But really, once we really understand the reality of who we are, who he is, we realize, no, we're the same. And that's how we're different. Like we're, we're the same kind of different. Once we get grasp our identity, we become in practice like him because he understood how he was different as well. Like, like he, was, he walked around as the God man on the earth and he knew it. We don't know it but we are. We're the same. We're the same essence. That's my, that's my fundamental conviction. Yeah, and going back to the, uh, um, the notion that some are in Christ and some aren't, I guess I, where I would land on that is, is that, yes, all things are held together um, by the, the logos of God, right? Um, not anything, you know, this is John's prologue. Nothing comes into existence apart from this. And it's the light of all people, not some, um, but all, but, but where I guess I would, yeah, I almost contradict myself is, is then say relationally, however, um, not all act as if we are, are in Christ. Um, and, and probably even those of us who yep. we think we're in Christ when we're, violent against others, when we accuse others, um, when we demonize and scapegoat and create others as, uh, uh, yes. you know, those who are out rather than those who are in, I don't think we're acting as if we're in Christ. So there is this relationality that, yeah, we can be apart from Christ. Ontologically, no, I, I mean, we, right. we don't exist apart from that. I mean, goodness gracious, there's the source. And if we're not, <laughs> if there is no source, we don't exist. I mean, let's just be real. Like this whole notion that like some people go to this place, you know, of eternal separation metaphysically from God are really polytheists. And this would be Jeff Turner's mm -hmm. point. How can you exist to completely metaphysically separated from the source that that doesn't make any, any metaphysical sense, but relationally. Yeah. Uh, we do it every time. Every time we, we, we do violence against others, every time we other, yeah. we, every time we create others, every time we create in us and them. Yeah. We're, we're completely acting, um, no. satanic. And, and that's, you know, going, when Jesus said yeah. you are of your father, the devil, I don't think he's making some metaphysical claim. I think he's making a relational claim. You are the accuser. You are, uh, um, uh, the executioner if that's how we want to interpret uh, the Satan or any of, uh, of those other interpretations. But it's basically the, the accusation and the execution that you are the bad problem. You, I mean, that's, you're of your father, the devil, when you're doing that. Yeah, that's, like, that's what I mean, Matt. I think, yeah. I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Like, I agree. Um, we, you know, if Christ is our life, right, if Christ is the source, then we're all connected. We're all, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, um, you know, uh, Christ is the one who fills everything in every way. And he also, as he said in, uh, in, um, in, in the book of Acts when he's in, uh, in Athens and he says, you know, God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And he says this to 
total pagans and unbelievers. So yes, we are all in Christ in that sense. We're all uh, from him. We're all children of God in that sense, which also Paul affirms there as well to the Athenians that we're, that we're all the children of God. But but it's also possible to live in such a way that we are not living out of that life of Christ. We're now living more out of our own selfishness, and we're cutting ourselves off from that life. And now we've inherited death. Right, Those yeah. without Christ inherit death. So yeah. I, I think that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. I think I think you're, you're you're close to it. Yeah, and I think what I'm trying to say is that the solution to people who are living out of their own ego self because you know they're not yes. living Christ-like is because precisely they don't realize that they are in Christ. Mm-hmm. So the solution to that is coming back to the truth. And then what is the truth? Jesus says, when you know the truth, yeah. the truth will make you free. So the truth isn't to tell somebody they're not in Christ. The truth is to tell them that they are actually in Christ because obviously they have not, they've either forgotten that yeah. or they'd have never known it. But it's it's the truth. That, that's, the, that's the idea of this is being good news. Like there is no in and out of Christ. There's You may not live like you're in Christ because you don't know the truth that you are. This is why I think Jesus comes in. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, you know, I'm the light of the world. But then he turns around and says, but you're the light of the world. And no one takes a lamp and hides it under a bed. Yeah. So who's being hidden under the bed? It wasn't Jesus. Is us. We are the light of the world just as much as he is. And we just need to know that. Yeah. So it feels like, uh, let's get back to our topic. Our, our, our topic is the question, was Jesus God? I think what the three of us are affirming is that we do believe that Jesus was God. I think what we're discussing is just in, uh, was that in some unique way that's apart from the ways that all humans uh, have a connection to the divine. Um, but uh, but it sounds like we're all affirming, yes, we believe he was God, right? Just not in a, for me, for me, it's just not in a different way than we are God. Okay. Yeah. And then. And, 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 maybe, and maybe I might. I, you see, I, I'm not exactly sure where I stand, and I'll probably sound like a little stuttery here That's and, okay. and not be able to put the words to it. But I think it's because there is such a mystery there that it's. I've, I've, I've often pondered this like, okay, I believe yeah. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to affirm that. Yeah. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe all these things. And I also believe Jesus when he calls his brother and sister. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not exactly sure what to do with that. I really don't. I'm just like, Okay, so you're calling me brother, or you know, and 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 that doesn't mean he's not Lord. I mean, it, it means yeah. you know, I would I would want to be his disciple, or or, or something to that. Like, I want to follow him. I want to imitate him, in in the Girardian anthropological sense. I want him to be the a, a model of of positive imitation. Absolutely, I'm on board there. But I'm not. Ex- I still think there's something that I can't quite connect in, in language sense on how he's different. Because, well, then why wouldn't I just follow other good role models who who I can I cannot get into rivalrous situations with, and I can and I, I still think Jesus is that um, that I don't want to say other, but he's he's different for me. But I'm not exactly sure. How to say it? Yeah, that's I, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I, I I do think it's hard for me, uh, and maybe this is just some religious thing that I can't break out of or something. I don't. I'm with, kind of with you in that struggle, Matt, because it's it, it's really difficult for me to say that I'm exactly like Jesus in every way because I don't think I am. I think Jesus had an understanding and a connection and a, and I think even in the in the idea of the incarnation, I think the incarnation is spoken of as a unique, special, amazing event. But again, I think because of the reality of the incarnation uh, in, of, of Jesus being God in the flesh, that we now also have a way to even more 
than we already do embody that same incarnation because of him. So I guess that's the way I think of it. Yeah. One of the, one of the scriptures I like is uh, when it says that Jesus is the firstborn among many others. So I think he's just one of many. And even on the, even, even on the resurrection, um, even the day of his resurrection, it says that many others came out of the tomb. I, I think, you know, the, res, the way the resurrection story is told needs to include, like, he's not the only guy. Like there's a lot of a lot of people that rose from the dead that day, according to the if we if we're taking the, those passages from the Bible seriously. So uh, he's the firstborn among many brethren. When he when he spoke to Mary Magdalene, <laughs> he said, "Shot, hey, shot." <laughs> he said, "Go to go go tell my brothers and your brothers, and go, I, that I, and I'm going to my God and to your God." He's definitely and and not only that, there's been lots of people that have went on to do greater things than Jesus did, according to Jesus. So I, th- I just think he needs to come down off the pedestal a little bit. That's just my personal view. And that's not to bring him down in an undue way. It's really maybe the way we bring Jesus down off the pedestal is to bring everybody else up where he's at. And I think kind of think that's where we need to be. We need to bring all of humanity up to where Jesus is because then we'll understand his divinity. But I don't think we can understand Jesus' divinity until we understand our own. So I wanted to ask a question real quick. We only have a few minutes left, uh, about 15 minutes left. And uh, so I wanted to, can I just flip this around the other way and say, what if Jesus isn't God? So like, let's say that we could know 100%, we would have absolute undeniable proof that Jesus is not God. What would that mean? What would it mean to us if Jesus wasn't God? Now, I know, Jamal, that's probably a non-question for you because you think everyone is God, and so there's no possible way Jesus could not be God. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, what if he wasn't the incarnation? What if he wasn't, uh, you know, God the Son in the flesh? What would that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to bring this up because, you know, let's think about the Trinity. And I think we talked about that. I brought this up with Richard the other day. But this idea of the Trinity, I think uh, I love the idea of the Trinity, the Father, I actually, I don't, I think it's a, the way it's been spun is uh, not helpful. I honestly think that there's this idea of the Father in, in Christ and then in, in the Holy Spirit is beautiful, but it's how we understand Christ. Christ has been so synonymous with Jesus. And that was, I honestly think, a, a fallacy of the church later as they developed the idea of the Trinity as it came into view. The, the second person of the Trinity became exclusively known as being synonymous with Jesus. And I think this is where having a cosmic understanding of Christ, when we understand, I think the second person of the Trinity is Christ, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. Again, Christ is the sum total of all of existence. So we, we are there in the Godhead. We are all included in Christ. So there is no distinction, no, no separation in that sense of, that's just my, under, this is just my understanding of it, that when we think of the Trinity, we should not think of the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We should think of the Father and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And by Christ, I mean, uh, and, and this goes on to Richard Rohr's next book, the, mm. the, the, the Christ, another name for everything. And that's what I honestly, I think there's something to that, that we are understanding of Christ, the divinity of Christ needs to include um, humanity and not just be focused on this one person of Jesus. Ooh, got him. Um, Keith, to answer your point, what if Jesus was not God? I mean, I'm not going to take the C.S. Lewis stance that he's either Lord, liar, yeah. or lunatic. Um, I, I mean, could could if if Jesus was not God, could God still raise him from the dead? Sure, I, of course, I, sure. Yeah, I guess I could I could follow Jesus and say I don't believe he was God, but I believe God raised him from the dead. Therefore, I believe uh, God will raise me from the dead, and I can live a, a, a life free of the anxiety of fear of death, which is, according to the writer of Hebrews, our greatest problem. 
that that we're yep. deathly afraid of death. Um, so yeah, I, I this is where I again get stuck. Like I guess I don't need Jesus to be God right. in order to follow Him. I don't. I, I still again like don't please don't crucify me and say, well, Matt doesn't believe Jesus is God. I do, but I don't need that to be necessarily. Um, I don't need to have the metaphysics right in order to say that human being there who is my brother and my Lord, I believe was raised from the dead. And therefore that too will be my fate. Therefore I, I can live yes. as if death is not. And, and I, I, I at, at this point in my life, I'm good with that. Um, how, how the relationship exactly works between the son and the Holy Spirit and the Father, I'm not exactly all that concerned with. Although I do like the yes. idea that we partake in the Trinity. Like we are, um, I think that's Richard Rohr's and Mike Morell's point in uh, The Divine Dance. A- and to be fair, I haven't read the whole thing. But i that's how I understand, you know, our relationship with the Trinity is that we are included um, in that in some way. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I asked, that's why I asked Bart Ehrman that question, like, hey, okay, Bart, so let's say Jesus isn't God, let's, but because Bart does believe that Jesus was a, a real historical person who actually existed. Um, and so that's why I asked him the question, yeah. okay, so if he's just a historical guy, and he said some of the stuff that we have in the Gospels, like the Sermon on the Mount, and love your enemies, and turn your other cheek, and bless those who curse you, and all that. Like, isn't he still worth following? And and that's kind of where I, kind of like you're saying, Matt, I, I'm kind of there too. Like, I do affirm he's God. I do believe in the Trinity and I and all that. Um, but at the same time, if he wasn't God, I would still follow him. I still think Jesus does reveal to us who the Father really is. And I think he can do that without being God. Right. Yeah, right. I think he, I think you can say, you know what, I I I've un- I think I have an, uh, an epiphany here. Uh, I think I know who God is. I think God is like this, and I'm going to show you in my life the way I think God really is. And um, and he, I think he could have done that having just been a regular guy. But again, I think he was more than that. But but even if he wasn't, I would still follow him. Yeah, and of course, all this all this um, does raise the question: Who's Jesus? You know, Mark Driscoll's Jesus? No. Uh, John Piper's Jesus? No. Um, so, I mean, but that, that's obviously a, a different, uh, podcast cause we don't have time to cover that. But, um, you know, the Jesus that I know, Keith is not going to be like, okay, yes. how explain the theology of how I'm related. And, and no, no it, it's going to be like, Hey, I probably got some stuff wrong, Jesus about this. And he's going to be like, it's okay. Yes. My, my disciples got all right. things wrong about this. Yeah. You know, I, there's going to be grace at the end of the day. You know? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I have just as much wrong as Peter did and, and uh, all those other guys. So I'm okay. Yeah. And I, I understand that it's a controversial question. You know, it has been over history that Jesus, is he divine? Is he not? But I honestly think the more controversial question is, is who are we? Like who as humanity, are we divine? Um, or are we not? Because again, that's to me where the pushback is coming from. Is going to if you tell Christians that Jesus is God, the most fundamentalist, legalistic, you know, um, hate-filled person will not argue with you. And I think that's something. But they will they will fight you tooth and nail when you when you talk about the divine nature of humans. I mean, they like get their reaction. I think that's I think that's telling. 
I think, I think, yeah, but you know, I think it's very telling because that's where the rub is. It's, it's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not who we can, we can put God up on the pedestal and make him out to be a rock star and worship him all day long. It's when you put humanity up there in the sense of being, we are like God. Oh, you sound like a yeah. Mormon. Oh, you sound like one of these. And it's like, oh, whatever, whatever arguments people want to use to discredit your, what you're trying to say. But it, at the end of the day, it's, it's touching some shame complex, something really deep in all of humanity. When you start telling people of their good nature, of their divine nature, of their holy nature, you start affirming that. Like that's where you start really seeing this religious venom start coming out because it's it's a real issue. Well, and look at look at the claim yeah. that <laughs> when Jesus is given the name above all names, like how offensive would that have been to a Jew? Yeah. Oh my. Like are you serious? You're going to you're going to give a human being the unpronounceable name Hashem, you know, the name that we shouldn't be saying for respect for our Jewish brothers and sisters, yeah. but so we'll just say Hashem the name <laughs> like I I I a, a guy in the, you know, a dude got this name. Like, what are you saying? Like, that's, you're right. That is, that's some crazy talk right there. Yeah. You know, I, I, going back to what you were saying too, Jamal, I mean, I think, and you're right. People get, well, people will freak out when you start saying that we're divine. And I think it's just the language. I think it's, it's, if you use that language, people, are, especially Christians, right? Religious fundamentalist evangelicals are going to freak out. But here's the thing though. I think, you can make a really strong case, and many already have, from the scriptures using Christianese, using the, the language that Christians do speak, you could show somebody who's a Christian that, you know, look, everything that is said about Christ is also true of you. And that is true. I mean, you can do an amazing uh, study of like all these things about that it says about who Christ is and, and, and the nature of Christ, and then they are also said about us. So all of these things, the realities of who Christ is and all these amazing things that are said about Christ are also transferred to us. And so, yeah, you would probably freak people out if you said that you're divine and, and they're going to think, oh, you're like you said, you're a Mormon or something. But if you said, look, understand this is who Christ is, and now the scriptures, the New Testament will, is telling you, and so are you. So all these things that are true about Christ are also true about us. And then if that's true, that means we do then carry, oh, gosh, what, there's even the scripture, right, that says we're the, we're the partakers of the divine nature. Well, what does that mean, right? And, and I think if we meditate on that and live out of that reality, um, we might not use the same kind of terminology that you're using, Jamal, but I think we would still be essentially uh, living out of the same reality, which I think would be fine. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think I think we need to absolutely maybe wrap it up here a little bit. But uh, this has been a great conversation, man. It really has. Yeah. yeah, it has. And sometimes we don't need all the answers, and that's the beautiful thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's actually great. I, I like this episode that yeah. we can just confess that we don't get it. You know, we're we're still wrestling <laughs> with it. That's no, good. It's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and by the way, yes, we have a live live podcast next uh next saturday march 10th if you're in the area southern california come on out join us oh yeah i look forward to seeing you guys byob bring your own bud yeah byob yeah no gasoline no lighters on the premises however